just want to pray as we begin for me to share my testimony and the Word of God. Father, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you would help me, Lord, to share my testimony, Lord, with your people tonight, Lord. Just anoint me afresh, Lord. Just pray, Lord, that it would not be anything to glorify me or to glorify sin that was in my life or to glorify the devil, but that all would go to glorify you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Just want to share a couple of scriptures to begin with. If you want to check in Romans, uh, Romans 6, verse 21. It says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And you know, I can say in my own life that I am totally ashamed of my past and my sin. There was nothing good about it. Nothing at all. So don't get any wrong ideas if you're here tonight and that you are unsaved, or if you're a prodigal son or daughter, that you could go down the road that I went down, and that it would be good, because it was not good. So I just want to leave that verse with you, that I am ashamed of my past sin, and that there was nothing good about it. I just want to read another verse here, and it's, to tie in with my testimony, it's found in Proverbs. You just bear with me because <laughs> the good part will be kept to the end. The good wine will be kept to the end. We have to go through the scriptures. And if we look in Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, this is what the Word of God says. It says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Well, I want to testify tonight. I grew up in poverty. And I don't think the earth has ever seen such poverty as I grew up in. Now, I had very good parents. I really loved my parents, and they loved me the best they could. They were unsaved. My grandparents were unsaved, and their parents were unsaved. There was no one in our family tree that we could find that was saved. But God was after my life from the very beginning. This is something at the beginning I'm going to say. God had actually spoke to two people, a man and a woman, 11 miles apart in Northern Ireland. When I was born, God spoke to these two people. One was a man and another woman. They didn't know each other at the time that they were to pray for me. God really spoke to them. And they began to pray for me, and they prayed for years for my salvation. Isn't the Lord wonderful? So merciful. 
But we were poor people, so poor. I was just thinking tonight in the meeting that probably most people have a mobile phone, they're probably a laptop, a computer, all them things. We didn't have any of them things. But we were even worse. We lived in a stone cottage. And I'll tell you, it was falling down around us. It was probably one of the worst houses I have ever lived in. And I lived in a lot of houses in my time, believe me. And they were rough. But I'll tell you, this one was rough. And we had no electricity. We had no running water. We had no flush toilet. We had no heating. And in the winter time, if it hadn't been for the neighbors bringing coats, old coats, to give us to put on for blankets, we'd have been frozen. Wasn't God merciful? So we lived in that house. My father worked. He was a workaholic. I became one as well. But he worked, but he was earning very poor money. When I learned what money was, he was earning seven shillings and sixpence a week. He worked for the council. And that didn't go very far. So we lived in poverty. But my father did his best. There were six children in the family, and we were all hungry children. I was the most hungry of them all. My appetite could never be satisfied. And many times my mother sacrificed her dinner to give to me, to try to feed me and to try to calm me down because I was always looking for food, never satisfied. In fact, I was never satisfied with anything. So we were in such poverty. And you know, when we're in poverty, the verse that I read out, lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. And that's where I began. We had food, but we had very little food, and people brought us food. People around the area, a lot of them were sympathetic towards us and brought food to us. But my father was a very proud man and he didn't want people bringing food and he forbid it. He told my mother nobody was to be bringing any more food and we weren't to get any charity from anywhere. He was a very strict man. We belong, our background was a Church of Ireland. Now, it was so dead, it was probably more dead than Goliath. <laughs> and we had no answers in the church. There was no gospel there. And I want to challenge all the people here tonight that's not saved or that's maybe backslidden. You've sat under the gospel for years, some of you. Why are you not saved? What's the problem? Well, I want to tell you tonight, and I'm going to take the liberty and the boldness here before I may get thrown out. It's your sin 
that has kept you away from the Lord all these years. Shame on you. I didn't go to a saved church. If I had went to a saved church, I'd have been saved a long time ago. God would have spoke to me. But God's speaking to you in every meeting, every week, and you're not saved. And we grew up in such poverty that I cursed God continuously. I cursed him. And I began to steal at a very young age because we lived in a country and I loved the country and I used to go all around the country exploring. And I found all these fields with potatoes in them, carrots in them, cabbages, etc., etc., all the vegetables and places where there were fruit growing in orchards and places. So I thought I would help out. So I went and I took a digging fork and I went to a field and I took a bag with me and I started digging spuds. Now it was stealing. But I had this thought, well, I'm robbing the rich to give to the poor and we were poor. Now that was wrong. Don't be thinking you can go out and do that. You probably don't have to. You're well off, but that's how I started off. And I took them home to my mother. And at the start, my mother refused. She said, where did you get the potatoes? And I said, I, I dug them in a field. You'll have to take them back. But I persuaded her. I was a very persuasive child. And I persuaded her to keep the potatoes and use them, for we needed them. And I remember my father, the first night he came in from work, and he always said, where did you get the potatoes? Because it depended where we got them, whether they were good potatoes or bad potatoes. And he was maybe given a hint if they were bad, where did he get them? But these were the best of potatoes. Where did he get them? And my mother looked at me and I looked at her. And she lied. And told them that the landlord gave them to us. So he settled for that. So I became a thief. And I went round all the fields, helping ourselves to all the things, potatoes and carrots and cabbage and all the stuff. And I did that for years. And we hid it from my father. Had my father known, it would probably killed me. Because my father, he wasn't saved, but he had all these rules and laws of his own. Don't do this, don't do that, don't. We weren't allowed to do anything except work. You were allowed to work if you wanted. So my father was a workaholic. And I actually lived in an estate. Now, it wasn't a housing estate. It was a huge, big estate. And there was an Englishman. Now, I'm not going to mention any names for the people's sake. But in this big estate, several thousand acres of an estate and a big mansion of house and luscious gardens and everything you could have desired, a river running through it. But we lived in this stone cottage on the estate and we saw the riches and the poverty. And you know, I was so angry as a child. I was angry because we were poor. I was angry because 
We were hungry. I was just angry because the other man was so rich. But I would have to say he was pretty good to us. He did bring us many things out of the garden. And I started school at five-year-old. And at the same time, he had invited me to come and work in his garden. And, you know, I didn't want to go to school. Before I went to school, I hated school because we had been threatened by school so many times. If we were bold or bad or whatever, we were threatened that when we went to school, that we'd be kept in the school and we wouldn't get out again if we were bold. So I hated school before I went. And just quickly to get through this, the first week I went to school, my mother walked me to school, and I was a rebel. By this stage, I was a rebel. I was only five-year-old. But you know, we're born in sin, shaping in iniquity, and there were sin in my members, and I knew to be angry, I knew to be cross, I knew to rebel. And my mother brought me to the school and left me there. And my mother came home. You see, her house was in a clearing in the woods. And the school was in a clearing about a couple of miles away in the woods as well. So my mother came home and I was sitting in the chair in her home. I had went through the woods. And I did that for a full week. I remember it so clearly. And my mother was furious. And in those days, what actually happened to you? My mother beat me. And then when my father came home, she told him, and he beat me as well. And if you met a neighbor, they beat you. If you met the minister of the church, they beat you. And you were beaten all the time. And I got so, so angry. So the next week, the teacher of the school and the principal of the school, they had a different plan. My mother had to take me and wait till the teachers and the principal all came. Then I was taken into the school and the doors were locked and I was a prisoner. That is the one thing that I dreaded was being imprisoned by anything or anyone. And there I was a prisoner in the school and I hated school. So it came to playtime and we were all sent out of the school. You weren't allowed in the school during playtime. And sometimes playtime could have lasted for an hour or two hours because the teachers didn't want the bother of teaching. So they just turfed you out and you went outside. Now, there was no supervision of children. And, you know, I would encourage you to supervise your children. Don't let them out of your sight. I was sent out to the playground and there was, I was five-year-old, remember. And there was two boys there who were 15 and they were another few weeks and they were leaving. And the minute I got outside, all the children were playing and these two boys come over and grabbed me. And they punched me and they kicked me and they put me down in the grass and they beat at my nose and bled it and they poked my eyes with bits of grass. And I was tortured for a week at that school every day. Now, after that first ordeal, my nose was bleeding. I was covered in blood. The two boys picked me up, carried me into the school, threw me down, 
and told the teacher and the principal that I had fell. Now, that was the beginning of my school days. And, you know, there was an anger rose up in me. And, you know, I just did not know what to do. But I went to the teacher and the principal. There were two of them there at the time. And I was crying and was in terrible distress. And I wanted to go home. And, and I told the teacher what had happened and the principal. And this is the words they said. They said, are you coming to this school to be a little tail bearer? Well, listen, I got such a beating with the both of them. Now, that was the beginning of my school days. Aren't you so blessed here? You have homeschooling and you have people to supervise and to love you and to help you. That was my beginning. And I hated school. Now, I did learn at school because I found out that if you didn't learn, you were kept in after school, and that didn't suit me. I had already a job in the garden, and I didn't want to be kept in. So I learned. Now, all we had, the subjects we had in school was maths and English. We had PE, but we weren't supervised. We were sent out with whatever gear there was sent out, and that was it. And uh, we did... Nature study. Now, I excelled in nature study because I was a, from the country and I knew all about all the trees and plants and et cetera and all the rest of it. And uh, I learned the maths in English because to me, it, was, it just seemed to come naturally to me. Now, I just want to read another verse at this point in time. This is found in... Timothy. First Timothy 6 and verse 10. I have all these bits of paper. They're nothing on them, but it's just to mark my Bible. Look, <laughs> They're not notes. Don't worry. We'll not be here all night. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, I had made a decision, and I was only five years old, and I had made a decision that I would never be poor again, that I was going to go after money. And I acquired that love of money. So I was working in the garden, earning money. Went to a farmer, asked him, did he want any help? I was only five, remember? And he said, yes, that was fine. Come and work any time I wanted. So I was working there. But it wasn't enough. So what I discovered at school, there was... Very poor people at that school, but there were also very rich people. And they didn't want to be bothered with homeworks. And we got homeworks in maths and English. I hated it. But I made a discovery that if I did my work quickly during the day, I could do the homework in school. And that's what I did. But then 
I charged the rich people sixpence each for doing their homework. So I had really got this love for money. And I was gathering all this money. And the way it was, when you get sixpence and two shillings for maybe working in the garden and half a crown, etc., eventually you could change it. And I had an uncle who was a bit better off than her family. And he used to change the money. And once I got a note, I thought, this is it. I am going after money and I am going to get rich and I will never be poor again and I will never be imprisoned again. I'm going to get out of this mess. So I went down that road of going after money. And you know, it was said later on in life that I would have sold my grandmother for a pound. That's how desperate I was to get money. So there I was at school and I was working trying to earn money. And at that school, you went on to your 15. But then the rules changed. And there was these secondary schools which were in towns. And people, when they got to 11 years of age, had to go to a town school. So suddenly, the school started to empty. This particular year, these people were all going to the town school and it ended up that I was the only fellow left in the class and it was all girls and I didn't really feel right there myself and there were no other fellows there but the girls they were all very nice and polite and etc and all the rest of them I settled down again and thought, well, if I have to stay here till I'm 11, because I knew I was going to be shipped off to a town school at 11, I thought, well, I'll just put up with it. Whatever it is, I'll just try and put up with it. So I managed to last till 11 years of age in the school. Now, I would have to say that as I rebelled more and more against the Lord, I started to get deeper into sin in my young life. And when I was eight years old, something happened. Something unexpected. We went to an unsaved church. We never heard the gospel. You were beaten there every Sunday to get. If you didn't go, you might have got a broken leg if you didn't go. So we had to go to church. There was a Sunday school there. But listen, listen carefully. All I learned in Sunday school, we did have to learn verses of scripture, which I learned off by heart to get them out of the way so that I wouldn't be picked on in the class. But I learned to lust after girls in the Sunday school. It was a non-saved church. The girls taught Sunday school unsaved. And listen, it was a breeding place for lust. Shame on me. Shame on the church. Shame on the teachers. But I just want to mention that in passing. Lust came into my life. And lust came into my life in the primary school. No supervision. There was 20 girls in my class. And the rest had all been sent to secondary school. And we had never been taught. They used to say, you know, about the birds and the bees. 
But we were taught nothing about that. When I grew up and became a man, I still never was taught. We were taught nowhere about life or anything. But listen, the girls in the school, they taught me lust in the school, in a primary school. Shame on me. Shame on the school. No supervision. And I started to slip into sin. And at eight years old then, suddenly there was a mission in the school. The two people that I mentioned at the beginning, these two people had been praying and they organized a mission. And the mission was to be in the school one evening. Only one evening. And the gospel was to be preached. I didn't know what the gospel was. But the preacher came and my father took me to it because it was organized through the Church of Ireland where we went to. And he took me to the mission. The preacher preached. And just to cut a long story short, when it come to the appeal, there I was and I, I realized, you know, that it was my sin. He kept talking about sin. And I realized I had sin in my life. So he said, if anyone in the congregation wants to get saved, would they put up their hand? And my father was there, and he was sitting across a bit from me, and he gave me very disapprovingly looks. And I was thinking of putting up my hand several times, and because he looked so disapproving on me, I took fear. I thought, well, if I'm going home again, I'm going to get beat again. So I didn't put up my hand. Now, I want to say that I regret that because for the next 20 years, I went into sin till it was drowning me. I was drowned in sin for the next 20 years. I ended up going to the secondary school and I didn't like the whole program there. There were all sorts of subjects. History, I failed in history. I hadn't a clue about history. When I come to get the percentage, I got nothing, zero in history. I had no idea about history. I come to geography, and the first year in geography, it was about the real science, about trees and plants and agriculture and horticulture, and I got 100% on it. We had woodwork. I got 100% in woodwork. We had metalwork. I got 100% in metalwork. And the first year, I got 100% in maths and English. And after that, there was a landslide. The whole curriculum changed. And I failed the maths. I failed the English. And I ended up with 100% in all the practical subjects. So I decided that I would only go to school on the days that there was practical subjects. And that's what I did. My mother had to write notes. So I said, write on the note that I'm working and I couldn't go to school because I was going to work either in the garden or the farm on the days I was off. So that's what I did. Not too long till the school inspector was at her door and I was told I had to go to school or I was going to jail. 
You know, we lived in fear. Everybody threatened you in those days. There was no love shown. And if you're here tonight, I want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And the church here loves you. And your parents love you. You're so blessed. So blessed. We didn't know what love was. So I only went to school, and in spite of the inspector coming, and eventually the police came. They were never away from our house anyhow, because if there was any trouble, I was always involved in it. So the police were always there. And they came as well, and they said, he must go to school. But I didn't go. So I got no education except in practical subjects. And then when I grew up, I pursued. I was going to go to gardening. I actually got uh, an entrance into Greenmount Horticulture College. And I didn't go there because I had to stay there and I didn't want to be trapped by staying there. So I decided to go to junior work and I served my apprenticeship. And uh, I was 15 at the time I started to serve my apprenticeship. So I had saved money. I was making money. I was saving money. And I landed home from work this day with a motorbike. And my father nearly went ballistic. And he told me to take the motorbike back to where it came from. See, with my father, I'm not condemning the man. He's passed away now, but he just, he didn't want anything modern. He didn't want anything that would benefit or help. He wanted to do everything the old way. He had a bicycle. He went to work every day on a bicycle no matter whether it was a good day or a bad day, for miles on his bicycle. And I landed home with this motorbike. I was told to take it back. And the row between him and me was so bad that my mother came and said, look, just take it back to get peace. And I took it back. But it was only a few weeks later, I got another motorbike. And you know, the enemy got into my life through speed. There was something happened in my life that I just was fanatical about speeding. And I got into motorcycling, motorbike racing. I got into scrambling, grass tracking. And the police were never away from the house. My mother knew them all personally by name because they came into her house and she made them tea. And you know, if I was out, and come in, my mother would have met me at the door and said, the police are looking for you. And they were always looking for me. Now, I just want to read another verse here, just to tie in with my testimony. It says in Galatians 3, verse 24, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And you know, God was using the law to bring me to Christ. I didn't know it at the time, but the law pursued me. Well, obviously I was a lawbreaker. I broke the law every opportunity I could get through some foolish acts that I did. We used to 
take the motorbikes into the town and go around the streets on the motorbikes. And at that time, the police had only bicycles. And you could imagine them trying to chase us with bicycles and us on scramblers and road bikes. And all the pleasurable things in life I pursued, everything that brought pleasure to me, that brought excitement, that brought challenge, I pursued everything. And I bought a van when I was 15 because I had started joinery apprenticeship. So I thought, there's money here. So I bought this van. I saved up for it myself, bought it. And I did joinery work privately then. And there was, there was the opportunity for junior work everywhere. You know, I had bookings, I had books written with all the orders for junior work, all sorts of things, furniture making, repairs, from putting roofs in houses to whatever, and so much work. And then the police stopped me one day in the van, and we didn't believe in taxing anything. We didn't believe in insuring anything. We didn't believe in PSV. And I was stopped. And of course they said, could we see your license, please? And I said, well, I haven't got one. Where is it? Well, I said, I haven't got one. They said, why have you not? Well, I said, I'm only 15. I haven't got a license yet. But I'll be getting one when I'm 17. <laughs> so you can see the record I had a law breaker, but God would use the law later on in life to bring me to Christ. So I was a sinner. I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And I want to say now at this point, I regret it not getting saved at that time of the mission when I was eight year old. And there's some young people here tonight and older people that are not saved and you know, I would encourage you to get saved tonight. Don't leave it till next week. Don't leave it till next year. I would encourage you to get saved tonight because tonight is a special night for you. If you're here tonight, God has brought you here. He's brought you here. It's a divine appointment for you in your personal life to meet with the Lord, to get right with him. And as I said at the beginning, the only thing that separates any one of us from God is sin and our own lives. And on the day that God returns to judge us, we have to give an account before him. And you'll not be able to blame somebody else's sin on your life. You'll be held accountable yourself. So I grew up and I went after money. And the police followed after me all the time. And at the age of 18, I left home. I had enough. <laughs> and I said to my father, I said, look, I can't make money living here. We have no electricity. We have no power. And I need to get out there to make money. There's money out there to be made. And, you know, my father tried to stop me and 
said all sorts of nice words to me. Look, you're okay here and you don't need to go. But I said, look, I need to go out. I need to get a workshop of my own. And I need power because I said, there's such a demand for furniture and doors and windows and all the joinery work. And I said, I'm skilled now. And I said, I need that opportunity. So I left home. Remember, my mother gave me this key. It was cut out of a cornflake packet. And I did this when I, on my 18th birthday, by the way. She gave me this key. We didn't celebrate birthdays because, remember, we were poor. We couldn't afford birthdays. We couldn't even afford Christmas. But the thing about it is she gave me this key. <laughs> and there were no hugging. There were no kissing or hugging in those days with parents. And she reached me this key. And <laughs> away I went. But... I got a workshop and got a place to stay. And I started a workshop, started a joinery business. And, you know, you might think about the Celtic Tiger, that it was a powerful time, and it was. But listen, at this time, the opportunity, the Celtic Tiger would pale into insignificance. There was such an opportunity out there to make money. There was a demand for it. We were coming out from the war, really, and we were coming into a time when people started to prosper and when everybody wanted work done in the building field. So I went out there and I made money. It was a license to print money. I was making a fortune. I started to employ men all over the place. And I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be famous in the racing world with motorbikes and cars. By this time, I, I had prospered so much and I got racing cars. We drove them on the road. It was illegal. The priest was after us, but they hadn't a hope of catching me because the cars were too fast. By this time, they had cars, but they weren't fast enough. And I loved speed. I lived for speed. The devil had me so deceived that I thought speed was the answer. And I can say today, it was only the mercy and grace of God that I lived through all those times. I crashed many a time, but the way it was at that time, when we were racing, we called it demolition derby. And anything went. And if you crashed and broke bones, you had to pick the bike or whatever, the car, and you had to go on. And if you had to go to a hospital, you had to drive yourself because there was no ambulances, no St. John's coming to the races. And it was only God's mercy. So many times I was near death. Now, I know my testimony. I'll have to wrap it up quickly. But listen, so many times I was near death. When I was young, I was gored by a bull twice. I was gored by a ram in the field I fell into a stream when I was four year old and only my father got me out. I would have been drowned and it was a miracle that I lived. He held me upside down. He beat me. He got the water out of me and I lived through it. There were so many times when I was nine year old, I was coming through the woods on a bicycle that a man had given me and there was a flood in the stream and the footbridge was covered. 
and algae and ice carrot went over the edge of the bridge into the water, couldn't swim. The bike went in. I was seriously injured and only that I grabbed a branch and I got out God's mercy. I could stay all night here saying how many times I escaped death because of my anger and frustration in me had built up so much, I became a very angry person. I became a very violent person. I got engaged in trouble everywhere, fights, rows, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't give in. I was so stubborn, so rebellious, and I, sometimes I got beaten till probably an inch of my life. And yet and all, I would never, ever give in. And God was so merciful, so merciful. Now, I, from, I cheered about refusing Jesus. I actually rejected him in that time. I decided, I made a choice, I made a decision at eight years old that I wasn't going to get saved, I wasn't going to repent of my sins, I wasn't going to follow Jesus. And you know, I regret that. I really regret that, that I didn't get saved then. But for the next 20 years, up till the age of 28, I went deep into sin. I mean, no man probably ever went as deep into sin. And it's only by the grace and mercy of God I'm standing here tonight. Now, the good news was that when I was 28, I was working in the building trade and went to do a job in Derry, Stroke, London, Derry. And a girl there witnessed to me. It was a government office. Now, before this, I had went all over the world. You know, the lust of anything is a strong force coming from Satan. And through the very lust of my own flesh and so many things, the racing, the speed, the woman, the wine, the song, I went all over the world. I was running away from God. From the age of eight, I was running away from God. And if you want a title for the word tonight, the title I had, Running Away From The Lord. And I ran away from God for the next 20 years and got deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. You know, at primary school, I was up to my knees in sin. Secondary school, I was up to the waist in sin. You know, at 18 years old, I was up to my neck in sin. But I'll tell you, eventually I was drowning in sin. And by the time I reached that office where that girl testified, it was an office in Derry. The girl was from Donegal, a very faithful witness in the Lord. And I went, rang the bell. Of course, I was Mr. Macho. <laughs> and, you know, my ego by this time was as big as the cab of a lorry. And I rang the bell. And this girl came to the door. And I had these papers in my hand and I said, we've come here to do some renovation work. She says, are you saved? Well, I looked at her. I nearly fell through the ground. Looked with a blank expression. 
She says, oh, you're not saved. She says, come on in till I tell you all about it. Well, listen, for the next two weeks, that girl faithfully testified about the Lord Jesus Christ to me. She preached Christ crucified every day. She sacrificed her tea breaks at 10 o'clock tea break for half an hour, 1 o'clock for half an hour. She sacrificed the time to share the gospel, to share her testimony, share about the love of the Lord. And she kept saying to me, and at times I kind of, she looked me eyeball to eyeball, and she says, Jesus really loves you. And I want to say to each person here tonight, whether you're saved, unsaved, backslidden, whoever you are, Jesus really loves you. And you know, that really got to my heart because I was drowning in sin at that time. And I wondered how Jesus could love me. And the girl told me clear and straight, she says, it's only your sin that is separated between you and God. And this was a girl. And I was so humiliated for a girl. Imagine a girl. And I was Mr. Macho. A girl telling me that it was my sin that had separated me from God. See how God confounded me. How God convicted me of my sin. And she kept telling me that Jesus loved me. And she kept quoting the word of God. You know, she was quoting verses like, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And one day I thought, I have got her. Now, do remember there were other men with me? There was other men there with me. And of course, we all made snide remarks to the girl and mocked her and scorned her and laughed and all the things. And uh, I said to her one day, I said, now, I says, I have a question for you, I says. How do I know you're telling the truth? Oh, she says, hold on a minute. She went away and got a Bible. <laughs> and she came back with this Bible. And I says, now hold on a minute. I says, I know that's a Bible. I said, should that not be in a church building or locked in a cupboard in your house? Oh, she says, this is the word of God. She says, this is my food, she says. I feed from this every day. And then she said, I have a question for you. She says, could you read out this verse? <laughs> and of course, I thought, well, I can't let myself down. I'm Mr. Macho, Mr. Cool, and I can't let myself down. So I read out the verse, but you know, it was about my own self. It was about my own sin. And the verse was, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. And she started to tell me, she says, you, I thought, how did she know? She says, you have run away from God all your life. But she says, God has brought you here to speak to you and to convict you of your sin and show you your need for a savior. And I knew that seeds of the word were sown in my heart, but of course I wouldn't admit it. Because I had thought I could chat up the girl the way I did at that time, Mr. Romance, as well as all the other titles I give myself. And I invited the girl for a meal 
She says, look, she says, I would like to invite you, she says, to the fellowship. And she says, invite you for a meal there. And I thought, gosh, what sort of a place is this? And then I thought, well, I'll try another angle. So I thought I would invite her out to a dance. So I asked her out to a dance. She says, look, I would like to invite you to the fellowship. And she says, we dance at the fellowship. And I thought, gosh, what sort of a church is this? So she wasn't convinced by anything that I said. But deep down in my heart, seeds were sown. And I knew, and she says, tell me this. Do you know you're a sinner? And I laughed. And I says, I know I'm a sinner. She says, praise God. She says, that's the first step. She says, if you know and recognize you're a sinner and you need to be saved, that's the beginning. That's the first step. And she says, Jesus really loves you. And I said, look, if you don't mind, you know, look at the wall when you're telling me that. Listen, it burned right through me. It was burning right through me. And in my heart, like every word she spoke was really hitting my heart. So, so piercing my heart because of my sin. But she said, look, what I want to do is I want to invite you to a meeting. And she gave me this little book. She gave all the men the little book. It said in, mine, in the front of mine, God is the answer. Well, by this stage, I was 28. I was back home again. My father had died. And I was back home again for a while. And I took the book and I put it on the bedroom shelf beside my bed and I never opened it but I did say on the front God is the answer but my question was I knew I was a sinner by this stage and it made very clear and I just knew that I needed to do something with my life and I had run away all my life I'd run away from God ran away from home, ran away from school, ran from my parents, ran away from everything that was good and right, and ran all over the world. So I left the book on the shelf in the bedroom, and whenever we went down the road in the van that time with other lads, they all tore up their books, threw them out the window, and they said, where's your book? And I said, oh, I have it here. They said, where is it? I said, it's in the inside pocket. I said, oh, she's got to you. She got to you. I said, no. I said, sure. I'm taking her out to a dance. I said, you'll not be taking her to no dance. <laughs> so I was very convicted of my sin. And if there was such a thing as drowning in my sin for the next three months, listen, I went down so far into sin and the weight of sin got so heavy on my life. It was so heavy. I was burdened down, weighed down by it. And I had no answers anywhere. But I thought, maybe there's an answer in Jesus. And This is the big question I was asking myself. I wonder, does Jesus love me enough to save me? And I ended up, over the next three months, arrested by the police, taken into custody, breaking out. I never could stay in a cell or a prison. It was something that I feared most in my life, being locked in. 
and I was very educated in picking locks. <laughs> that was another of my <laughs> downfalls and jumping, jump-starting vehicles, expert in both of them. And I broke out of everywhere. But over the next three months, I got arrested so many times, police, army. Do you remember I went through all the troubles? I was a violent person. I got caught up in this country and lots of things unspeakable for security reasons. I cannot say any more. If you want to know, you'll have to read the book. But I haven't written it. It may never be written. But that's what the evangelists say. But listen, I was caught up so much in sin. And I got arrested so many times, broke out, got arrested again, broke out. And so many times I was almost shot by whatever, whoever. And this wasn't only in this country. This was all over the world. I get into all sorts of things. I'll tell you a quick part now, just to whet your appetite in case you're falling asleep. I get arrested in, well, captured, will not say arrest. I get arrested in Tehran City. That's Persia. And uh, I almost lost my life out there. And the greatest masterminded escape that I ever did was out of a secure barracks in Iran city, in Tehran, Tehran, in Iran. And uh, I know that's God's mercy kept my life. So when it come to the point, I wondered, did Jesus love me enough to forgive me for all my sin? There were many, numerous sin of every sort of idolatry, violence, sexual immorality. I became a liar. I became a thief. There wasn't anything at that time that I didn't get involved in. So I broke out of prison quite a few times over the next few months. Every time I was arrested and put in, I broke out. And you know, I was tired running. I got tired. And the burden of sin, God allowed the burden, the weight of sin to weigh me down so heavily. And I got so tired of it that I decided to give myself up. So I went to a police station and I gave myself up. And the police couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that I gave myself up. I said, look, I'm giving myself up. I'm not going to run anymore. Give myself up, going to face the consequences, whatever they are. I'm tired running. I didn't tell them I was sick of sin or anything. <laughs> but anyway, they put me in a cell. And then, of course, they come in. Every time you were put in, every time I was put in a cell, they always the heavies come in and give you a going over. But I loved the action, I loved the challenge. And of course, I fought back. And at that time, you know, I say I was Mr. Macho. If he took a feather tonight, you could probably knock me over. But at that time, I thought I was just the man. How foolish I was. How ashamed I am tonight of my past. So the police give me a going over. They left me a while. Then they come back in again. Give me another going over. 
And this went on over, started on Friday evening. And this went on through to Sunday morning. And they finally come in. Uh, they got a, a chief inspector there because they'd got the man they wanted. I was a wanted man <laughs> by every authority out there for years all over the world. If I didn't get arrested getting off the plane, I got arrested before I got on the plane. And that's how I lived, running away from God. So they brought this chief inspector in. And this is what he said to me. And he named by by name and he says, Tommy, what are you going to do with your life? Well, I couldn't think of anything. I had no answers. And I was tired. And I had a terrible hangover because I drank like a fish, as they say. I partied, I drank all my life. I began when I was five-year-old drinking. That's the age. And it was my father taught me. So I still had a bad hangover. And I couldn't think of what to say. And I, I said, I'm thinking about getting saved. Well, listen. They laughed their heads off. And they brought all the boys from the station in. And they said, he's thinking about getting saved. So, of course, I got angry. And I said, what's funny about that? And I fell, told them, and they were a whole scene. But they went out again. And they come back later and they said, well, what are you for doing with your life? And I said, I'm thinking of getting saved. So they went out again and I was in a good long time and there was this other man came in. He was from a different branch and he was a saved inspector. And he said, uh, I believe you're thinking of getting saved. Uh, and I says, oh, I am. I just answered I was getting saved. I hadn't a clue, but I said, I'm thinking I'm getting saved. So they went out and in a few times and talked, and I heard them discussing and all. So eventually he came in, cut a long story short, he says to me, right, this is the way it is. He says, if you're genuine about getting saved, he says, you can walk out that door a free man. And I thought there were a catch in it. He said, look, we're letting you walk out a free man with a whole lifetime of a bad record. We're letting you walk out free. And I said, what's the catch? He said, there's no catch. He says, if you get saved, your mother will be delighted. The police force will be delighted. Society will de be delighted. The church will be delighted and I will be <laughs> So, he says, if you don't get saved, we will get you. And he says, believe me, we will get you. And we will throw the book at you. And here's where the law comes in. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And God used the law to put the fear of God in me and the fear of prison. And that was my worst fear of all was been locked up because of the, all the lusts in my life. I couldn't even imagine being locked up. 
because I was going after all the pleasures that were out there. So, he said, off you go. And I still thought there was a clause in it. So I said, unless she put it in writing, the old man and me was coming out. I says, unless she put it in writing, I will not be going out of here. I said, that's okay, give us a few minutes. They come back with the whole written out thing that I was a free man to go. <laughs> so I walked out that door. And you know the devil had his last minute fling. Because I went out, I couldn't find my car. It was a recent car that I had out. It wasn't meant to be on the road, meant to be on a racetrack. I went to look for it, couldn't get it. So I went to a phone box. Remember we had no mobile phones then. I went to a phone box and I rang a girlfriend, one of hundreds. I rang her and said, look, you better come and get me. Where are you? I said, I'm at a police station somewhere. <laughs> but anyway, she eventually got me. And I said, right, take me to the off-license. It was, by this time, it was Sunday morning. It was, well, the middle of the night on Sunday. Went to the off-license, it was shut. So I said, pull the car up close to the window. Banged the window, reached in for a bottle of alcohol, tipped it up, and you know, the first time, it didn't do anything for me. God's hand was in this. I didn't feel drunk. I didn't feel sober. I didn't feel nothing. It had no effect. I couldn't hide behind alcohol. So I didn't know what to do. And then I made a decision. I said, right, I'm going to go to the meeting. I said, drive me to my mother's house. Got the wee book. Now, this was the morning. My mother was still in bed. And my mother always knew when I was coming because in those days, any time I went home, drunk or sober, I took the back door off the hinges. That's the type of a character. It was violent, angry, very bad person. But this time, I knocked on the door and kept knocking until my mother got out of bed and came down. What's wrong? I said, I'm going to the meeting. <laughs> and my mother nearly had a heart attack. She didn't know what had happened. But anyhow, I got the book. And I decided to go to the meeting. So the meeting was in Stravan, miles away. Because this girl that witnessed to me, I worked in Derry. She was from Donegal. The meeting was in Stravan. But I made the journey. I took two witnesses with me. Two girls had to get another one to be witnesses to make sure there were nothing sinister about this, what it was going to be doing. And it ended up the two girls were backsliders. Imagine shame on me, shame on them being with me, son of the devil at that time. But they were with me in sin. But they went to the meeting. And you know, the girl had told me Jesus loved me. She had told me as well that when I would go to the meeting, the presence of God would be so real. And God would speak to me. And I would hear him speaking in a still, small voice. Well, you know, I went to that meeting and the presence of God, it was nothing like what I have ever known in an unsaved church. 
the presence of God was so real. The meeting began at 11 o'clock and lasted to 1 o'clock. And I was in the meeting and the two girls went into the meeting. And when I went in, I got a seat somewhere. But God had arrested me. He really arrested me. And I thought, you know, I need to get out of here. There was, and one ear, the devil was telling me, you need to run. And God's still small voice, you need to get saved. And the battle was going on. But I was frozen to the seat. And they were singing choruses. And I began to weep. And I cried, I mean bitterly, with conviction, with repentance. I cried all the way through the meeting. And you know, I would have been so hardened of heart that I didn't even cry or grieve at my father's funeral. That's how hardened of heart I was. But I cried. I cried all the way through the meeting. And I felt the presence of God. I knew that God was real in that meeting. It was a Pentecostal meeting. (laughs) And I, I cried all the way through it. Convicted of my sin. And wondering. And saying within my heart, Lord, I want to be saved. And a couple of them gathered around me after the meeting. And I had heard God speak. There was two prophetic words. A lot of you will be familiar with the prophetic words. Two prophetic words in the meeting. And God really spoke direct into my heart. My whole heart was revealed in that meeting. And I knew it was my sin that had separated me from God for 28 years. And I was so convicted. And all the choruses, the hymns, everything was speaking about a sinner. They might as well have sang everything to me that day. Everything in the meeting, the preaching of the word directly towards me had cut to the very heart. And I knew that I needed to be saved. So when they come around me and the girl that had witnessed to me, she was there and she came over and she was so excited i never seen anybody as excited in their life. She says, praise God. She says, you're here. The Lord has brought you here. And she says, I know you're going to get saved. Praise God. And then one of the elders in the meeting said, well, did you enjoy the meeting? But I was still crying. And between sobs, I sort of said, yeah. said, well, what do you think? Uh, well, I said, I, I would like to get saved. And said, well, you just go right ahead. And here was Mr. Macho, stripped of everything. Couldn't pray, didn't know how to pray, didn't know what to pray. And I was reduced to look nothing. And they said, look, we'll begin to pray and you just pray after us. So they began to pray and I began to pray. And all I said was, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sins and come into my heart and save me. Well, listen, God is so real. The moment that I prayed that, the burden of sin lifted. And I was still crying, but you know, as I cried, it was tears of joy. The joy of the Lord came into my life. The burden of sin lifted. The chains were broken. 
and I was free. God had set me free. And you know, God delivered me that day in that meeting from the lusts of the flesh, the racing cars, the motorbikes, the violence, and all the immorality that I was in. God set me free, gloriously set me free, and I just started to praise him. And you know, that was the beginning. It was one o'clock when I got saved, maybe ten past one. The meeting started up again, praise God. Now this is something to look forward to in this place. The meeting started up, and it went on to five o'clock that day. And we praised God and rejoiced, and we wept. And we sang, and they sang a chorus. I knew no choruses. They sang a chorus, I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And listen, I sang. I can't sing unless there are a crowd. But that day I didn't care. The joy of the Lord had come into me, and I did not care. I was singing and thanking and praising God and thanking him for saving me and forgiving me. He actually forgiven me for all my sin. And the, the terrible, awful things that I did, I'll not be mentioning them now, but the terrible things, you've heard enough of them, the terrible things that I had done in my lifetime, and every one of my sins God forgive me. And he cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. And if you're here tonight, whether you're backslidden, whether you're a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, whether you're unsaved, you know, God can forgive you for your sins. And take note, the only reason you're not saved or the only reason you're backslidden is because of your sin. And you know, God wants to forgive you tonight. I didn't come here just to entertain you. I came here with a message, message of the gospel, to say that Jesus loves you and that you need to be saved. And if you're backslider, you need to come back to the Lord. And God didn't stop there because I say from one o'clock to five o'clock, I was well saved. And the joy of the Lord, I mean, it just was unspeakable. I couldn't explain it. It just filled my whole life just with the joy and the peace of God. When I was out there in the world, I had no peace. I put on a front. I smiled all the time. I was always grinning, but it was because of the sun. But I had no peace. I had no joy. And I was going to a lost eternity. I was going to hell itself. I was on a road to hell so quickly. Only but the grace of God. Only God arrested me and stopped me going down that road. If I had not been stopped by the Lord and his mercy and his grace, I would have been dead long time back. But God was so, so merciful. And then I had heard God speak in the meeting that he loved me and I needed to be saved. But I heard the still small voice of God again in that meeting. And you know, because of the nature of my sin, I had encountered so many sicknesses in my time and so many broken bones. I'd probably got most of the bones in my body broken through violence, through car racing, motorbike racing, through beatings. And God spoke 
so clearly to me. Nobody else heard it, but the still small voice of God, which is so real to me today as it was then. Do you believe that not only that I had the power to save you, but I have the power to heal you? And I remember, and I lifted up my hands. Now, you wouldn't have done that in a Church of Ireland church. You'd have been asked to leave. You couldn't look round. You couldn't talk to anybody. couldn't even eat sweets. <laughs> but I had lifted up my hands, and I was thanking the Lord and praising the Lord and singing and glorifying God for saving me, for taking my sins away. And I said, Lord, I believe that he could heal me. And you know, instantly, I was healed by the Lord himself. He healed me of every sickness that I had had and every disease I had and every injury and every broken bone. And I'm standing here today and I just praise God for healing me. God is the healer. Jesus heals today. He healed me and he saved me. But it didn't stop there. I heard the still small voice again. And God was saying to me, do you believe not only that I have the power to save and to heal and deliver you? Remember, he delivered me as well. I can praise God 39 years saved now and I have never speeded again. And God delivered me. I've, from that day, I was never in a racing car since, never on a motorbike since, never on a racetrack, not even to go to the places. All them things was taken away. I've never been violent since. God delivered me from all those terrible things. And I didn't have to run all over the world lusting after the flesh. God delivered me, set me free. But he said, do you believe not only that I can save, heal, and deliver you, but I can fill you with the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lord, I believe. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was, but I said, Lord, I believe. Well, listen, I get filled with the Holy Spirit in that meeting. And I started to speak in tongues in that meeting. And I was so overjoyed. You know, I had problem enough speaking English, and I had to learn the English language, and I had problem enough speaking it. But here I was, I was able to speak in a new heavenly language without learning it. That was a miracle to me, amazing how real God was. Suddenly I could speak. Well, I just took off and I just listened. And then all the people in the meeting were weeping because they had sat there in their Pentecostal pews for years. <laughs> and they had become stagnant and they had become religious and they had become traditional. And I tell you, God woke us all up that morning. And I tell you, by five o'clock, everybody was revived. There was a revival in the church, in the people's lives. They were revived. There were no more sleeping. There were no more slumbering in the church. And at five o'clock, I mean, I was just so, look, I only saw Jesus. I didn't see the people anymore. And I didn't care. And I knew I would never have to worry about the police again. And you know, since then, I have fellowshiped with policemen. I've witnessed to policemen. I've hugged policemen. <laughs> I've had policemen in my house. <laughs> and I hated the law, but God uses the law. God uses the law. And I just want to say now today, I, I just want to read uh, a word here 
uh, before we finish, we, we have to have a message here before I finish. It's in the book of Jonah. Now, I ran away from the Lord knowingly from the age of eight and 20 years out there in the world, deep in sin. But this is about another man. There's a lot of testimonies in the word about men that ran away from the Lord. But in the book of Jonah, Jonah had run away from the Lord as well. He had followed the Lord and he had run away from him. And if you have followed the Lord in the past and you've run away from God, you take note of this tonight. This is a true testimony of Jonah. There's a lot of messages in this, but the message I want to highlight is that Jonah ran away from the Lord. God spoke to him to do something, and he ran away. And in verse chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa. Now, Joppa is a seaport in Israel. And from Joppa, you can get to Tarshish. But this was completely in the opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. And if you are backslidden and here tonight, or if you are unsaved and you've run away from God, and be honest in your heart tonight before the Lord, if you're not saved and you're coming to these meetings for years, you're running away from God. I'm taking this liberty tonight. You're running away from God. Shame on you. Shame on me for not getting saved till I was 28. And here was Jonah running away from the Lord. But it says here in that verse 3, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee. If you're not saved or if you're running from God, if you're backslidden, there's a rising up. Now that rising up is not of God. That's the enemy rising up in your life to take you in a different direction. He's rising up and we raise up through pride, through anger, through bitterness, through rebellion. We raise up to run away from God, to go in an opposite direction. And this is the opposite direction Jonah went. It says there, in the middle of the verse, he went down to Joppa. He started a downward journey. And like my testimony tonight, when I ran away from God, I started on a downward journey. And as I went down, I get deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. Now, when I asked you tonight, where are you tonight? Are you at Joppa? Are you at the seaport ready to run away? Or have you already found a ship going the other way? Are you already on a downward journey? The way Jonah was. So he says here, he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof. I'll tell you, it's a high price that you will pay for running from the Lord. I paid a high price. 
I shared briefly some of my testament. In all honesty, if I had to share my testimony, it would take, it would really take a book <laughs> written, and it probably still wouldn't be enough. But there's a high price to pay for running away from the Lord. Some of you may already be paying a price. You pay a high price for running from the Lord. And he paid the fare thereof, and it says he went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the present of the Lord. See, he was going down further. Every verse you read here is going down a bit more and going down a bit more. And you see, that's the way it is in our life. If we don't get saved, if we don't come to the Lord, or if we don't return, if we're backslidden, we go down further and further and further into sin. And you know, as Tim shared several times in the meeting, and I always take note of it, sin will take you to places where you never wanted to go and cause you to do things that you never wanted to do. And that's what happened in sin in my life. I went to places that I didn't want to go. I did things that I didn't want to do. And you know, you are doing things. Now, I'm going to be very bold here on this word. There's a lot of people here not saved, and you're in sin. And sin is increasing in your life. Every week you come to the meeting here and hear the gospel. You know, the word of God's coming in one ear, and the devil is in the other ear telling you not to get saved. And you're slipping deeper and deeper into sin. And there's a big wide, evil, wicked world out there ready to swallow you up. I encourage you tonight to get saved. Turn to the Lord tonight. Don't put it off because this is a downward trend. And at verse 4 it says, But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. You know, you think that you could be like me, being macho and so full of your own ego that you could do as you wanted. But God will send the storm. And I can assure you, he'll send the storm. And life running away from the Lord will not be as good or as pleasant as you might think. You probably have heard testimonies up here of men and women sharing over the years and you probably think, oh, I want to go out and try that. I want to try those recent cars. I want a motorbike. I want to go out into the world. I want to have girlfriends. I want to do all them things. I want to get rich. I want to get famous. But you're on a downward spiral. And you know, I had a curse in my life. I was cursed from God in my sin. I had a death sentence on my life. And you know, if you are in sin tonight, you are under the curse. And you have a death sentence in your life because it says very clearly in the Word of God that when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is conceived, bringeth forth death. And you have a death sentence in your life. But you have an opportunity tonight, praise God, 
And here was Jonah going down. And I don't want to go through the whole thing for time, but the men on the boat discovered the storm was there. And it says in verse 5, But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. You know, the further you go away from the Lord, you know, you become fast asleep to the things of God. They're blanked out completely. You've got so far away from them, you think, you know, you've escaped from them, and they'll never, ever catch up with you. But God will catch up with you, I can assure you. And if you are here tonight, it's your opportunity. Before you go down any further into sin, and Jonah had went down into the sides of the ship. You're going down, 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 down. And uh, Jonah told the men, he explained to them that it was his fault, it was his sin, it was his rebellion, it was his disobedience to God that he was in that situation and that the storm came. And eventually, they cast him into the sea. If you look here in verse 15, so they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from a raging. So you can see whose responsibility it was. It was Jonah's responsibility. He had brought this on the seamen. So he was now cast into the sea. He was gone down further. And as you read on, In verse 17, it says, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So he went down even further. He went down into the belly of the fish. And you know, that's where I landed. That's where I ended up. In such a dark place. And I believe there's people in the meeting tonight that are in a very dark place. Sin has taken you into a, a very dark place and there's a stench of sin. You can imagine being in that fish's belly, the darkness, the horror, the stench of it, the smell of it. And sin, sin can bring a terrible smell, a terrible stench and a terrible darkness and a fear to engulf you. And that's where Jonah had went down that far and then something happened isn't God merciful the mercy of God in chapter 2 and verse 1 it says Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I and thou heardest my voice that was the mercy of God in my life when I was in the belly of hell itself, as it were. And my circumstances had swallowed me up. And if you continue in your sin, your circumstances will swallow you up like that great fish. You'll be swallowed up by your sin and by your lust. And you will end up in a very dark, frightening place. But the mercy of God, there's mercy here tonight for you, whether you're young or old whether you're saved or backslidden, there's mercy for you tonight. And you know, before I sit down, I'm going to say again that whoever you are in the meeting tonight, that Jesus loves you. 
He really, really loves you. And he wants to save you tonight. And if you are backslidden, he wants you to come back to him because he loves you so much. And he has already forgiven you. Whatever you have done, he has forgiven you. He's waiting for you. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I'm going to make an appeal now before I sit down because I believe this is a divine appointment. I just thank you for being patient with me and for listening to me. A country boy, but praise God that it's a country boy that is saved by the grace and mercy of God. We're just making an appeal now, and this is the way we're going to make the appeal. We're going to pray, and if you are unsaved or you're backslidden, come up to the front as we pray. I'm going to invite you up to the front. Come up to the front and allow God to forgive you in this place tonight. Allow him to change your life. Allow him to save you. Allow him to take him back, just like the prodigal son. He takes back prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. Just pray, Lord, that you would cause your word, Lord, to penetrate the hearts of the unsaved tonight and the backsliders, Lord. And reveal your love, Lord. That love, Lord, that you shed your blood at Calvary for each one of us, Lord. You love us so much. And you want to forgive us for our sins, Lord. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Heavenly Father, draw us through your Son tonight, Lord. To be saved, to be healed, to be delivered, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord.